In case if you don't know me, my name is Lanre Omonaik. And um, I want to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. And I know that uh, God that has begun a good work will complete every good work that he has started. Uh, I hope the Thanksgiving is not, uh, we're not excited about Thanksgiving because of the deals we are going to get on uh, the Friday. But um, I just want to wish everybody a uh, happy Thanksgiving, whether you're traveling, you're staying around, you're celebrating with families. Just let's remember that it's a good thing to give thanks to the Lord. That's what the psalmist said. All right. Uh, I will continue uh, in the light of what we have been sharing. That's uh, talking about generosity. And um, I wasn't completely here on Sunday. I was partially here. But uh, some of the things that were said, you know, were kind of hard based on some of the feedback I got. Uh, I just want us to pray this morning. I want us to pray. Because when, when things like this are happening and, we're, and it's like uh, landmarks are being uprooted, people are being severed from you know, their, their spiritual uh, roots or what they know, then there's bound to be chaos and unsettlement. But this morning, I just want us to pray. I want us to pray this morning. That as these words about generosity continue to flow, that God will meet every one of us at our point of need in that area. That everyone will come to the understanding and to the fullness of the knowledge of what needs to be done when it comes to this generosity. And that we'll be like the Christians in Berea who went back and searched and found out for themselves and it wasn't just what they were told, but what was revealed to them. So this morning, I just want us to pray. As you sit down, just pray. Just say, God, help me by your Holy Spirit. Help me by your Holy Spirit to be able to receive with meekness the engrafted word of God that is able to save my soul. In other words, it's able to change my mind and renew my mind and bring me to a place of understanding where my mind and that of God begins to work as one, where there's fusion between my mind and the mind of God. Help me this morning. Help me, Holy Spirit, concerning generosity in the name of Jesus. Father, this morning, we just want to thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, your Holy Spirit that is present here. We give you praise. We exalt you. You have your way. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed. Amen. All right. Uh, I want to look at that generosity from one of the parables of Jesus. And one of, the par and one of those parables is uh, the parable of the rich fool. Uh, if you turn your Bibles with me to uh, Luke chapter 12, from verse 13 to 21. Luke 12.
Are we all there? Okay. I remember the Archbishop that also I used to say in those days, if he's looking at the book of Luke, if you, say, if you can't find Luke, just look. Just look if you can't find Luke. All right, so Luke from verse 12. Uh, let me get the New International Version. Okay. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother... No. Thank you. Uh, from 13, 13. Okay, good. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide an inheritance with me. All right? Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possession. 16. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced good crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grains. And I'm a very slow reader, please. Yeah. All right, thank you, thank you, thank you. I will store all my grains and my goats. Go ahead. Then he said, no, okay, 19 now. Okay. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. 20. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you have. Sorry. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? 21. Finally, 21. And this is how it will be with everyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. And that last part of that sentence will be the title of my message. That is, be, I mean, rich towards God. We need to be rich towards God. But uh, this scripture, let me quickly do uh, uh, an intro to this scripture to give, you, uh, uh, to give you an insight into the intro. This scripture was basically uh, two brothers, right? They had issues. Two brothers had issues. And... One of the brothers, because of the culture of the tradition, refused to share the inheritance with his other brother. In other words, the culture then or the tradition then in the Jewish society or the Jewish community at the time was that a brother, the oldest of the male child or the male, male, male children or child, all right, had the right to double portion of the inheritance, in other words, if a man has four children and he dies, his inheritance will be shared into six places. All right? When it's shared into six places, and it's shared into six places because the oldest male child is supposed to get a double portion. So 
He shares everything with everybody and takes the extra one to give him that extra boost. Now, but this brother, what he did was that he took everything. Rather than sharing with his own brother, he took everything. And the brother had to go and appeal to Jesus. Please help me. Talk to my brother. Let him give me what I deserve. But what was Jesus' answer to this uh, question, to this solution? But before that, I want you to know that I do not believe that these guys were just random people. Because the Bible tells us, if you read from the beginning of chapter 12, the Bible tells us that Jesus was speaking to his disciples. So, of course, these guys must have been his disciples. So, he was speaking to people that he knew, people that he had a relationship with, people that, and this guy must have really been close to him. Because if you read some other translation, you know, when he said, I said, Master, please, help me solve this problem with my brother. And Jesus Christ told him, Jesus Christ actually called him friend. He said, friend, who has made me a judge over you? Inasmuch as I'm not going to directly judge this, I'm going to give you a lesson on what generosity is or what generosity is not. Because sometimes we need to know what things are not before we know what they really are. And that is the idea that Jesus did here. He, he told us what generosity wasn't so that we will understand what generosity is. Alright? So, uh, I made some observations and one of the first observations I made, and I just want to clear it out here now, is the fact that Jesus was not against him having things. Jesus is not against you prospering. Jesus is not against you having abundance. Jesus does not desire in your, uh, in, in your lack. He desires that you have things. All right? Also, Jesus is not against you saving. Because I have heard a message many years ago where somebody said, based on this scripture, it is wrong to save. Now, if we are going to look at scripture, if we are going to put that in comparison to other scriptures, you know that this is not correct. Right? Because even Jesus himself had a treasurer. Am I correct? He had a treasurer. In other words, he was keeping some things aside. He wasn't spending all that he had. Which means Jesus Christ was not against what? Saving. He was not against planning. So, when Jesus Christ is talking about this, this parable is not about, that's not the reason why Jesus Christ was talking about it. He wasn't talking about the, the, the futility of saving. That wasn't the issue. That wasn't the issue. Alright? Now, let's go to uh, Proverbs. Open with me to Proverbs. 11.24. Let me just show you something and then we'll clear this and I'll, I'll move from there. Okay. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. Give me the King James Version of that. Give me the King James Version. I want to point out a particular word I want to point out from there. Okay. It said, there is that scatter it and yet increase it. And there is that withhold it more than is what? I want you to underline that word now. There is that what? Withhold it more than is what? But it tended to poverty. So Jesus' problem was not that this man was withholding something. It wasn't, his problem was not that he was saving things. His problem was that he was saving more than he should. Because when, when a farmer 
If a farmer decides that all he produced, all he has produced this year, is going to be saved, all right? What he has done is that, number one, he has violated, which is the offense that this man committed, he has violated fundamentally the principle of prosperity for a farmer. Because what a farmer does is you save some for the future. And then you take some and you do what? You scatter. In other words, you sow. All right? So this man's idea was, okay, I have had abundance. It's time to retire. I want to retire young. I will save it. He said, my soul, enjoy what you have labored for. From now on, it is the time to enjoy. So Jesus was not about, Jesus, Jesus was not talking or was not against him having things. He was not against him saving he was not against him planning for his future, but Jesus was against him withholding more than he should. All right? That being cleared up. Number two, now where I really want to start getting, you know, digging deep into this now is this. It's number two. The number two observation I made is this. And that's one of the mistakes that this man made. The number two observation is that Our relationship with things have both spiritual and eternal consequences. The way you relate with things, there are things a lot of times that you look that looks nat that looks natural, it looks normal, it looks simple, but your relationship with those things have spiritual and even eternal consequences. I will explain. I read a story of a, of, the guy was like a superintendent of one of these major denominations in the U.S., in the United States. And his responsibility was to place pastors after they graduate from the seminary in their different branches, to send them to different branches. And what the man, the man developed a style or a model by which he was able to determine the pastors that were going to succeed and the ones that were not going to succeed. And what was that model? Whenever it was time to post them to their, uh, to their destination, parish, whatever, all right, the man will take out time to go and live with them. He will stay with them for some time. And when he stays with them for some time, he tries to observe how their relationship, what their relationship is to money, what their relationship is to their family, what their relationship is to their children if they have any, what their relationship is to, you know, their house, how they take, took care of everything, how they work with everything. He would observe everything. And after that, he was able to predict or determine those who will do well and those who will not do well. And you know what scripture he used every time he was asked? He said, the Bible says, he that is faithful in unrighteous mammon. He said, if you are unfaithful in unrighteous mammon, how can you be faithful in the true riches? In other words, there are so many things that we do in life. There are so many things that we think are just ordinary. But in the real sense, they are a gauge of our spiritual temperature. 
They gauge your spiritual temperature. How you relate with money, a lot of times, determine what your spiritual temperature or your spiritual gauge really is. It determines how your spiritual gauge is or the spiritual temperature of your life is. All right? So, um, uh, let me look at one scripture. Let me look at one scripture. Uh, Matthew 6, 21. Can you show me Matthew 6, 21? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, note, note this, because I've seen people confuse this. And it's not, it's, not, it's not to be confused, right? People have confused this. And how do they confuse it? They will say, where your heart is, there your treasure is. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. In other words, the way you relate with things, the way you relate with people, the way you relate with your environment determines your spiritual temperature. And that's what Jesus Christ was saying here also. Why would Jesus Christ be talking about a man sowing, a farmer who got something right? And then all of a sudden, towards the end of the parable, we see Jesus Christ saying, today your soul will be required of you. It wasn't that he murdered somebody. It wasn't that he did something that was... Um, you know, terrible, so to say. But guess what? Jesus was trying to tell us. Now, I want you to also know that this is a parable. The man did not really die. It's a parable. All right? And how does that relate to us today? In other words, the way we relate to things, if we don't relate well with things, especially money, right? It begins to affect or begins to, I mean, it begins to show or it's a temperature or it's a gauge of what our lives really are. Spiritually. People who are spiritually sound have a sound... Okay, let me not be, let me not be total in... For the most part, they should have a sound relationship with money. All right? Are we, are we still together? All right. Uh... Let me see, open to Proverbs 11.24. Let me, let, me, let me quickly say something and then I'll move on from there. Proverbs 11.24. Okay, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not the scripture I'm looking for. That's not the scripture. Open to uh, Proverbs 6. I'm sorry, 6. 6 to 8. Proverbs 6, 6 to 8. Okay. Look at what it's saying here. It says, go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Verse 7. Which have no guide, overseer or ruler. Okay provided her meat in the summer and gathered her food in the harvest. In other words, God is telling spiritual people that you can use natural things, all right? You can use natural things to gauge. You can use natural things as an example. They become an example and a gauge as to how your spiritual temperature can be, all right? And so one of the mistakes that this man actually did make 
One of the, one of the reasons why Jesus called him a fool, he said, you fool, tonight your, your, distant, your, your, your soul will be required from you is because the man did not recognize that everything that he does or actually his relationship with his produce is a spiritual gauge for him. All right? Now, my third observation. My third observation. Which is where I will camp and then end up here. My third observation is the fact that Self completely took over this man. Self completely took over. From verse, uh, let me look at it here. Verse from the three verses there, Luke 12, uh, 23. There are three verses, Luke 12. Hold on. Okay. Look at what the man said. Then he spoke a parable to them. No, that's not where I want. Uh, okay, aha. Uh, and he taught to himself. That's from verse 17. And he taught to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my bands and build greater. And then I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take, uh, take your easy, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. What I'm trying to show you here is this. From those three verses, all right? There were 11 first-person prepositions that were used there. Three verses. 11 first-person prepositions. He used the word I six times. And used my five times. And in all of that, there was no God in it. I, 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 I. I, I, my, 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 my. Five times he used my. Six times he used I. In other words, God was out of the equation when it came to his finances. God did not have room. God did not have space. And when you talk of, when you talk of self, another word for self, you know what another word for self is? It's ego. All right? Do you know that ego stands for an acronym? Ego can be it stands for an acronym. All right, it means edging God out. When self is involved, like in the case of this man, God could not find room to express Himself in His finances. He did actually edge God out. And I think this is one thing that God really wants us to get here this afternoon. How to get him involved in our finances. 
Alright? Self is a very bad master. It's not a good master. When self is in control, everything goes haywire. Everything becomes chaotic. Let me tell you how self operates. Look at how self operates here. Just listen to this. How self operates. Like I say, self is a very bad master because when self rules, all right, fear takes the place of love. Works takes the place of grace. Complaint takes the place of thanksgiving. Anxiety takes the place of peace. All right? Doubt takes the place of faith. Speculation takes the place of reality. And I takes the place of God. You can, you can put it always. You can, you can say all kinds of things. You can, you can put your own whatever there. You know? When self is in charge... Everything just goes haywire. I mean, I can say, I can spend my time talking about all the things. But let's look at this one. All right? Speculation takes the place of reality. When self is in charge, you always think that you need the next deal. All right? There's always the next one I need to get. This next one I need to get. This next one I need to get. You have become, you become a man of never enough. When self rules, when self is ruling, every decision you make comes from the point of how much is going to benefit you. And when that is your decision, all right, when that is the point of your decision, you begin to be afraid when no one is chasing you. In other words, you think there's scarcity when there's abundance. You know that the, the availability of resources does not mean you are really rich, right? Because I know, that's, I know some people who have a lot abundance, but they're not secured that they can be taken care of. They're not secured. That it can be taken care of. Let me jump ahead of myself and just say, because I think it works here now. Do you know, you know, do you know what Jesus Christ, the first place we read there, Jesus Christ said, he said, beware of covetousness, right? And you know what covetousness is. Do you know another word for covetousness? It means greed, right? All right? And what is greed? What is covetousness? Covetousness is that, uh, that continuous desire to acquire. It's avarice. You want it. You want it. You want it. You want it. You want more. You want more. Right? But Jesus Christ came and expanded the meaning of covetousness from that scripture. Alright? Look at what it said. Uh, can, you, can you start with verse 13 for me again? Luke, Luke 12. Uh, no, 14. 14. Look at what it said. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? All right, 15 now. Give me 15. Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. 
A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possession. Now, look at the definition here. I want to explain something. I want, I want to bring something home here. In other words, from Jesus' mind or from Jesus' standpoint of view, right? Greed or covetousness is not only about the desire to acquire. He expanded it. It is also the desire or, I mean, it is also the, uh, the ability. Or, no, ability is wrong. Let me, let me get some other. It is also that, um, what word do I want to use? It is also that, um, that, thank you. It is also that drive to retain what you have because it is equivalent to your life. Anything that you have, anything that you have, when you are about to release and you feel pain, that is covetousness. Anything you have, if God says release and you feel pain, you are already in the grip of covetousness. And that was what this man was doing. This man was not going to give anybody. He was not going to help anybody. He was even not even going to invest into his own future for the following year. All he wanted was just to keep it. Hold it. Embrace it. Enjoy it. Feel good. You know, you've seen, I've seen some movies where, you know, money, you know, you just throw money and people just roll over the money and all those kind of things. You know, if you get to that point where money or your goods is something you cannot depart from. That's covetousness. So what is Jesus telling us here? I want to reiterate it in. That I want to reiterate it here. I'm not saying go and bring your 401k. That's not what I'm talking about. All right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you getting to a point where your relationship with God is so important to you that things become secondary. Because whether you have it or you don't have it, you have a God that guarantees to take care of you. No wonder Paul said... I have learned to abound. I have learned to abound and to abase. Right? Am I correct? Did I say it well? I've learned both to abound and to abase. Why? Because I have a God that always supplies my need. No matter what my situation or my circumstances. So here, God is talking about a relationship with things. Let me reemphasize it again. He's talking about a relationship with things. How you relate with things has spiritual consequences. There are spiritual consequences. All right? So, we're still on self. How do I know if self is ruling? 
Just look at those things or go to Galatians chapter 5. The same word, the same word for self is the same word for flesh. And the Bible tells us about the works of the flesh are manifest. In other words, the things that the flesh thrives on, the things that self thrives on, they are manifest. And every time, when, as we're talking about generosity, every time the flesh is in charge, it hinders your generosity. No wonder the Bible says from uh, verse 21. You know what the Bible says? We read it from verse 21 of where we're reading now. It said, so is he for everyone who is what? Who is rich towards himself and not rich towards God. In other words, if you are rich towards yourself, you cannot be rich towards God. Now, when the Bible talks about we being rich towards God, does it mean that we're not rich towards God? The Bible talks about Christ, uh, Christ, being, uh, Christ being made unto us, you know, everything. All right? It doesn't mean that we're not rich towards God. But how do we relate with God based on what we have? Is the question. The things you have, do they hinder your relationship with God? If they do, then you're not rich towards God. All right? But the good news is, the good news is, self can be overcome. All right? We can overcome self. We can live above self. Self does not have to, be, to have mastery over you in our relationship with things and with God. So that we look at things only from the angle of God. All right? So I'll just do two here. Just two things. I'll just show us two things here. There are so many things, so many prescriptions from the Bible, from the scriptures. All right? But number one thing that we can do to overcome self, where we can freely be rich unto God and express his generosity, is that what? We must be self-surrendered. Self-surrendered. And I know it's a traditional word. Actually, those of us that came from a traditional background, when it says self-surrender, you know it's like you know, you're dying on the altar every time. All right? It's like they're crucifying you because the rules are there. There's so many rules, so many regulations. And this thing. No, but self-surrender from the mind of God or from a New Testament perspective, self-surrender is the same thing as trusting God. You get to a point where you trust God. In the book of Proverbs, the Bible tells us, say, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. If that is not surrender, I don't know what it is. And it has to be you doing it willingly and completely. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In other words, when it comes to trust, there's a contention between what you know of God and what you know of yourself. And that's what the Bible was saying very clearly. It said, trust in the Lord with all your hearts and lean not unto your own understanding. All right? Self-surrender. We have to get to that point where Paul said in Galatians 2.20, he said, it is no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. He said, the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's a good place to start self-surrender. 
where you see yourself and you say, this, the life in me now is God's life. It's God's life. The Bible, I mean, uh, uh, the Bible also in 2 Corinthians tells us, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And look at what he said, all things are of God. Can you fully say today that in your walk with God, all things are of God? If you cannot, if you cannot say that completely, just like I can't say that completely, then there's, re, there's still room for improvement in the area of trust. There's room for improvement in the area of trust. Trusting God. The next one, the next one, I know a lot of people will not hear, like to hear this, but um, uh, it, is, it is dependent on the first one. If you are, if you, the more you do the first one in self-surrender, then you can master the second one, which is what? Self-control. And when, when, I, when I talk about self-control, I'm not saying you controlling yourself in your own power. I'm not saying New Year resolution. We'll see how that works, right? When you, you wake up on 31st or 1st of a year and then you, 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 I mean, you say all kinds of promises to yourself and all that and it doesn't work out well because, you are using, because it's just you. But when I say self-control, I'm talking about somebody who is surrendered. All right? You are surrendered willingly. And then you are now drawing from the ability of God. Because you and God are one now. To be able to control your control or resist your impulses, your desires, and your emotions. So that your emotions are not just driving you. In fact, in, uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 25, the Bible tells us, it said, Anyone that seeks mastery, if you are seeking mastery, if you want to be a master, you must be temperate in all things. Another word for temperate is self-control. You must, you must have self-control if you are seeking mastery. But you see, you cannot get to that point. You cannot do B or two without doing one. You have to be in a place where you are totally surrendered. You trust God. And then now you can now step into this other one and begin to control the impulses, the desires, and your emotions. And finally, finally, I, I want us to pray before, 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 I take, before I take my seat, but finally, I just want to let you uh, know uh, that all the things that I've said, all the things that I've said, if you don't get anything today, if you don't get anything from all I have said, I want to refer you to the word of some man is a, is a theologian, uh, a very popular theologian in the U.S. Uh, his name is Miroslav Volf. All right, Miroslav Volf. And he was talking about the richness of having and the richness of being. And he said, unfortunately... In the community of believers, we have always relied on the richness of having rather than the richness of being. God is driving us to that area of the richness of being, being who he has called us to be. Rich towards God in every area of our life, everything that he has called us. 
That's where God wants us to be. And by that, we can be generously disposed to be able to do the things that he wants us to do. If you don't get anything today, just know that God is not calling you to the richness of having, but he's calling you to the richness of being. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Father, this afternoon, you know our hearts. You know everyone that is present in this room. And you know where we are. Because we understand from your word that all things are naked or all things are bare before you. And so also is every heart. This afternoon, oh God, in the name of Jesus, I just pray for my brothers and my sisters this afternoon that you will help us to be able to actively in our lives differentiate between the richness of having and the richness of being and help us to be able to embrace the fact that when we be we become all that you want us to become. We thank you Holy Spirit. We worship you. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed. Amen. God bless.